Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. Last week, our 11-year-old granddaughter introduced us to the Norris Nuts. I'd never heard of them before, but the Norris family live up near Charlestown, somewhere near Newcastle. Uh, Brooke Norris, mum, uh, Justin Norris, dad, and their children's names are Sabre, Socky, Biggie, Naz, Disco, and Charm. The Norris family launched their YouTube channel in 2014 and they have had over 2 billion views worldwide and just from advertising on YouTube they have earned more than $12 million as a family. Their overall family value is estimated at close to $20 million. On their website the Norris family describe themselves as one of the most intriguing families of the new digital generation. They skateboard and surf and make music videos. They play lots of entertaining games, often competitive, such as who can be the last to fall asleep or who can eat the most French fries without vomiting. Norris Nuts is just one of the myriad of manifestations of the consumer-driven world in which humans are portrayed as being empty in need of fun experiences and possessions over and over again to fill up our emptiness and relieve our boredom. In this consumer-driven story, the world we inhabit is self-centred and trivial and largely mindless because there is no need for wisdom, no concern for others, no suffering, just more and more fun experiences. And the saddest thing is that the Norris Nuts are hugely influential in rich nations such as Australia. Well, the biblical vision of being human in Colossians is drastically different, wildly opposed to that of the Norris Nuts. The little letter we know as Colossians was written by Paul and Timothy when Paul was in prison, probably in Ephesus, to a small church in a comparatively unimportant city called Colossae in the Lycus River Valley in what today is the nation of Turkey. The church had been planted by Epaphras. Paul himself had not been there, was not part of the church plant and didn't know many of these people. Written in the mid-50s in the first century, the main teaching of this letter is thrilling, so relevant both then and now, And to sum it up, the main teaching of this letter is all about fullness and abundance and completeness and overflowingness. It's about the fullness of Jesus Messiah and the fullness of human life for all who find themselves trusting in Christ. And perhaps a thematic text which we'll hear proclaimed in preaching next week is chapter 2 verses 6 and 7 which says, So then, just as you received 
Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him or live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing, spilling out with thankfulness. Paul's first words in this letter, one to, chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, uh, encompass the letter opening, uh, his thanksgiving for these people, and then his prayers for them. And the images throughout the first 14 verses are all about abundance and fullness. Uh, in 1, 1 and 2, just as Paul introduces himself, uh, he's not an empty, alone individual. He's an apostle of Christ Jesus. Christ has sent him. By the will of God, he lives his life. He's conscious of being caught up in God's purposes. He's thoroughly relational and responsive to the Lord of all things. He's Christ's apostle. And the people who make up the fledgling church in Colossae, they're not empty, alone individuals. They're saints, holy ones. They live in Colossae. That's their earthly dwelling place, their small city. They live also in Christ. They find themselves wrapped up in the expansive lordship and work of Christ. And as the apostle gives thanks for these in Christ believers, he portrays the gospel itself, the truth of the gospel, as bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has, he says, been doing among you. This fruitful image of the gospel as being like this huge tree that is growing throughout the world, where does Paul get that from? He gets it from Genesis. He gets it from the original creation. Because in Genesis 1 and 2, as God creates and then separates and then populates the creation, and he calls it good and then very good, uh, we see abundance and diversity in all that God makes. Let the waters teem with living creatures, we're told in 120. Let the birds increase we're told in 22. And to the humans, the Lord says, be fruitful, increase, fill the earth. These are the words that Paul now gives to the gospel. And so what Paul is seeing in Colossians 1 is that the gospel is the source of a new creation. Just like the original creation, it's good, it's very good, and it's filling the earth now with the fruitfulness of hope and love, and faith. I wonder how many kinds of trees, and birds, and beasts, and sea creatures there were in the initial creation. It was diverse. It was profuse. It was abundant. I looked up butterflies this week in prep. How many kinds of butterflies are there in the world today? We are told there are 17,500 species of butterfly. God never does anything by small measure, as it were. How many stars are there? We're told that there are 10 billion galaxies in the observable universe and at least 1 billion trillion stars 
in the observable galaxy. God is extravagant. God is profuse. God is abundant. And Paul draws on that God in the image he uses to describe the good news of Jesus. It renews the world. It renews human life. The gospel, he says, is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. The word of Christ is the word of the renewal of creation, of humanity, of hope and faith and love, the fruit in the hearts of those who find their lives in Christ. Paul is so thankful for this as he prays. And what he prays is that these believers in the little city of Colossae will experience fullness in one nine, may the Lord fill you with the knowledge of his will through all his wisdom and understanding by the Holy Spirit. May you live lives worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. May you, Colossian believers, bear fruit in every good work. May you grow, may you be strengthened with all power. May you know God's glorious might and great endurance and patience and joyful thanks. And just to remind us that Paul is not imagining a trouble-free life when he speaks about a full life. He's in prison, as he writes. And Paul's understanding of fullness in Colossians embraces all of life, both suffering and triumph, miracles and martyrdoms, death and resurrection. He's not talking ideally here. He's talking realistically about doing life in Christ in a way best described as fullness. Well, human life can be full because of the fullness of Jesus. And in 1, 15 to 20, and we saw Jennifer's artwork, Christ is described in the fullest possible way. This is a, a hymn um, perhaps written before Paul and he's using it in his letter. It's a stunning poem and the overarching claim of the text is that the Son of God holds the position of unique preeminence over everything. There are no contenders. 1, 15 to 17, the fullness of Christ as creator. 1, 18 to 20, the fullness of Christ as the new creator or the creator of a new world. In his human life, Paul says, Jesus, the Son of God, has made the invisible God visible. The Son of God, Jesus, has made God Almighty, eternal, invisible, immortal God visible. Christ has brought God to us. And this Son of God is the heir of all creation. God the Father has given everything to God the Son. This is the primary meaning of the word firstborn over in 15 to 17. When Paul says Christ is firstborn, he doesn't mean first created. He means inheritor of everything, heir of everything. And when Paul says everything, he means everything in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authority, 
Everything was created through the Son of God. His power made everything. And everything was created for the Son of God. He inherits everything. He precedes everything. He sustains everything. The past, the present and the future of everything belong to Jesus. And then in 1, 18 to 20, Paul turns his attention to the fullness of Christ, the new creator. It is this Son of God, this Christ Jesus, to whom the believers in the fledgling church community of Colossae belong. And all of us here at Live at Five or Live at Nine or Winmalee or Springwood at Eleventh, all of us in the churches, we belong to the preeminent Son of God who is the ruler over everything. In fact, Paul describes human life here as being in Colossae, in Christ. In Springwood, in Christ. That's our double identity. The church is this Son of God's body. We walk and talk and speak and act and relate and imagine as Christ's body. He energizes the church. He's the source of life, the head of the body. And in his resurrection, he has conquered death and now rules over everything as saviour and new creator. In 115 to 17, he rules creation. In 118 to 20, he rules the new creation. He's creator and redeemer. All things belong to the Son. All things are being renewed by the Son. Just as the Son created everything, he is now reconciling it back to God. All of God, all of God's fullness lives in Christ. He makes God visible. He is fully God. There are no contenders, no created being, no power, no authority, not wisdom, not the law, not the Roman Caesar, no one else holds preeminence, only Jesus Christ. In the consumer-driven world of the Norris Nuts, humans are portrayed as being empty. And because humans are portrayed as being empty, we are told that we need, we compulsively need to be filled up again and again with fun experiences and more and more possessions. In the consumer-driven world, our lives become self-centred and trivial. It's a thin world, not a substantial world of creation and new creation in which there is fullness abounding and spilling out everywhere in Christ. What does a full life in Christ look like? For us. Uh, the next three weeks we'll be in Colossians and Paul talks about it throughout the whole letter. So read Colossians. But let me make a couple of points tonight. First of all, I want to draw a distinction between a full life in Christ and a life defined by busyness. Fullness and busyness are not equivalents in Scripture. Sometimes I think Christians particularly, but many of us in this mad, exhausting, consumer-driven world, have bought into the lie, and I certainly include myself in this over the years, that we will be defined by being busy all the time. 
by being in demand. That faithful discipleship looks like busyness, rushing, multitasking, breathing quickly, talking quickly, living under demand and being driven. We can be fooled into thinking that our identity and effectiveness as Christians is defined by our busyness. Sometimes busyness is one of the most unwise things we can choose. I was once talking with a very wise Christian leader who asked me how I was going. I told him how busy I was. I thought I would impress him, but he wasn't impressed and he said to me in response, Rod, what are you hiding from? What are you hiding from? There are times to be busy, but busyness must not define us. Busyness is not the same as faithfulness and fruitfulness. The full life that Paul imagines in Colossae includes plenty of practices and actions that don't come under the rubric of busy. Let me also say that a full life in Christ does not mean withdrawal from participation in the world as though I will now spend all of my time doing so-called Christian things, reading the Bible, listening to Christian music, only having Christian friends, filling my life with Christian activities. Paul is deeply participatory in the world, deeply involved in the world. He's travelling, he's working, he's imagining. It's not withdrawal from the world that God involves us in. It's participation in a full sense as faithful disciples. What does, busy, what does a full life in Christ look like then? Well, let me give you a couple of reflections. Most prominently, I think, a full life in Christ looks like an obedient life, an abiding life, a constant and consistent walking with Christ in all of the seasons of life and the challenges of life, including our suffering in life. Do you know the prayer attributed to St. Patrick? Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ on the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Fullness begins and is defined by walking with Christ in the neighbourhood, in the marketplace, in the family, in the challenges of life, each day, 24-7, waking and sleeping. Eugene Peterson described Christian discipleship in terms of walking as a long obedience in the same direction with Christ. I like that. Because walking is not something you have to consciously think about once you start to walk. You're walking with Christ. You're thinking about what Christ is doing in Christ's world. Doing life in Christ is doing life relationally and responsibly and obediently and gratefully and honouring the preeminent one 
in word and thought and action. And so a full life in Christ is most characterised by turning away from sin, by repentance, by confession, by saintliness, by love and obedience. And it needs to be practised. It struck me in preparing for tonight that if I conceive of my life as full, then I'm equipped to give, I'm overflowing, I'm other-centred, I'm gifted, I have something to offer. If I conceive of my life as empty, I live with demand, I need to get, it becomes self-centred. Fullness flows out, emptiness demands. Fullness is giftedness. Emptiness is impoverishment. Fullness is other person-centred. Emptiness is me-centred. And the advertisers and the entertainment industry tell us over and over again that you are empty and need experiences and possessions to fill you up. And God says, no, you're full. Go and share it. Bless and spread your fullness in Christ to others. But practices need to be developed and let me give you a couple I've been wanting to work on recently. And I think the lockdown's actually been helpful for us to focus on new practices. So very deliberate prayers at the beginning and end of each day. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The first words as we wake. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, fill me with your Holy Spirit today. And then those prayers for every family member and for the leaders of the churches and the members of the churches and the deacons and the elders and then prayers for the world, for the nations and then prayers for protection. Very deliberately at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day, the same prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, protect me through this night. And then the same prayers for every family member and for the church leaders and the elders and the deacons. Very helpful practices. It's just the way we do life. And in between, we seek to walk with Christ in whatever we're doing. When I look back at my life, sometimes I think it's been too defined by busyness. So wanting to practice deliberately slowing down not rushing, checking breathing, enjoying silences, sleeping well, sitting with music, reflecting and listening to scripture for quite a long while each day, giving thanks as a practice for each day and for the seasons of life. And recently, sort of thinking back over seasons in New Zealand or in Mount Druitt and working through things and just being thankful again to God for what occupied those years, deliberately slowing down and giving full attention and practising this to others when they speak, when we sit with somebody, listening well, not multitasking, not being distracted, not being urgent to get on with it, but listening well. That honours Christ. So what are your practices of fullness? Think about that and work on those in response to Colossians.
A beautiful book, 2, 6 and 7 as we finish. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him, rooted in him like a tree bearing fruit, built up in him like a temple, a spirit dwelling place, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and spilling out, overflowing with thanksgiving. That's fullness in Colossians. Amen.